It's really interesting. You look at Jonah, and he goes, God gives him this word. He's going to take it to Nineveh. Well, he's supposed to take it to Nineveh. He runs in the opposite direction. You know, he doesn't want to share that same grace that uh, uh, they had experienced as a nation. And instead of going and sharing how good God's grace is and his mercy and his loving kindness, he, he, he's on the run from God. And then as he is on the run from God, he gets on the board of the ship, and there are sailors on there, pagan idolaters. And uh, he says he fears God, and though he doesn't want to go to the Gentiles, he's a Jew, and he doesn't want to go to the Gentiles, they receive the grace that he's running from and from uh, trying to share with the others, and, and they get saved. And now Jonah's being tossed overboard, and we find that over in Jonah chapter 2, and then uh, we'll see him get right, and then we'll see Jonah chapter 3, Nineveh get right. And, uh, you know, when you go to chapter 4, I, when I read through these commentaries sometimes, it puzzles me why, uh, how some people think. But anyway, uh, they think that uh, Jonah's prayer in Jonah chapter 2 is not sincere. I, I don't buy that. I, that's not my take on this. I believe as a Christian, you know, you go through these ups and downs. There's sometimes you're strong, you're serving the Lord, you, you get things right, and you're, uh, you're heading in the right direction. And then there's this backsliding motion, Jonah chapter 4 once again. But uh, Jonah is an incredible book in how God continues to pursue after sinners. That, that really just highlights it. I'm glad that he pursued after me when I was yet a sinner. I'm glad that uh, he pursued after me when I was heading in the wrong direction after I'd been saved. And I'm glad he's still pursuing sinners, aren't you? And so we're going to look at the prodigal prophet Jonah this morning and his repentance. Jonah chapter 2. In Jonah chapter 2, it says, And Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly, and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. For thou hast cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about, all thy billows and those, thy waves passed over me. And then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple you kind of get the imagery from verse 3 as he talks about the, the billows and the waves just overpowering. As he's being tossed in the sea, I can imagine there's a, just a period where he's still floating in the waters and the waves are just crashing down and pulling him down under. You wonder sometimes how he could pray. I believe that he was on top of the water when he's making this vocal prayer that is going on. But in verse 5, we see he's coming down into the waters. It says, and the waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped around my, about my head. I went down to the bottom of the mountains. The earth and her bars was about me forever. And yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord, my God. And this is, this is a reflection. He's writing later on about this, but he says he's coming down to the bottom. And he's down to the depths where the, the mountains, the base of the mountains where they're formed. This is the, the imagery that he's giving. And uh, he talks about how the Lord has brought him up from corruption, verse 6. Verse 7, and when my soul fainted within me, I remembered. Remember, he's in water, so he's not talking. But he says, I remembered the Lord. My prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. And they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice unto thee with a voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. You see there's a change taking place. And then in verse 10, 
And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited Jonah upon the dry land. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray you would just help me. As I have received this, Lord, I've been studying and meditating and, and working through this text to really comprehend it all. And why you would show such grace and mercy to even those bent on going the wrong direction, only you know, but thank God for it. Lord, I pray you would just help me to communicate the message you've given. And Lord, may you get all the glory and honor. It's not, not of me, not of my words, but all of you, Lord. May it be you who gets the glory, in Jesus' name, amen. I'm a man who loves books, and uh, I'm unashamed of it. You can look in the office of my bookshelves, and I'm just continually collecting more and more. But I was studying on this uh, book, The Valley of Visions. It's made of this Puritan prayer. I mentioned it before, but I never really looked at it. Uh, but The Valley of Vision is this Puritan, and he's giving this prayer between a sinful man and a holy God is really what it's about. And the man says to God, Thou hast brought me to the valley of vision. Hemmed in by the mountains of sin, I behold thy glory. And aware of all the wrongs that uh, he has done, the man still has hope, hoping in God. And he, he, he wells the brighter, the wells the brighter thy stars shine, he says. The deeper the wells, the brighter thy stars shine. And finally, the poem ends with a request. He says, Let me find thy light in my darkness, thy glory in my valley. In other words, the deeper down he goes, the greater God seems. The further into sin and more in despair that he feels, the more it causes him to look up and to say, you know, I'm, I'm missing out on these blessings. Like the, the prodigal son who's gone and he, he spends his father inheritance and he's on the run and he realizes after he's wasted all of his father's living and he comes to himself there in the pig pen and he begins to realize, hey, my father's house wasn't so bad after all. And this is really what Jonah is coming to. This is what is being expressed in that book and what Jonah is dealing with. Just like the prodigal, I look at him and I see a prodigal prophet who wants to come back to to his God, come back to the Father. And this is what we see Jonah doing as he's praying, crying out unto God. And Jonah found God's glory during his time in the ocean's death to be something amazing. And although sin creates a distance between God and us, we can look up from the lowest points in our lives and see Him. His holiness, His goodness, His grace, His mercy. I just imagine Moses as he's getting ready to come to the point of the promised land and he has followed God all those many years and dealing with the rebellious people and he is coming to the point knowing that he can't cross in and he says, Lord... Number one, he, he asked to see the Lord's glory. That was a great prayer. But even knowing that he couldn't go into the promised land, he says, let me, let me just see those things you have prepared. And he climbs up the mountain and looks over from Mount Pisgah over all the promised land to realize how great God is. If we turn away from our sin and confess it to God, he'll forgive us. Sometimes we have in the mindset of our own selves, God can never forgive me of this or never forgive me of that. There's nothing that we can do that God can't forgive us of. I mean, he, he sent his own son to this earth to die for every one of our sins. Uh, there, there's, he already knew how much sin we would be in. He already knew how far we would run from God. He already knew how bad we would be, and yet he still died for us while we were yet sinners. 
It's incredible, but we, we can't be to the fact that uh, think that God can never forgive us when he has demonstrated his willingness to forgive us. He will forgive us if we turn and confess our sins to God, uh, and he answers the prayers from the valley, the deepness of our sins. There's an important word that um, I want to highlight this morning, uh, a doctrinal word, if you will, repentance. Sometimes you get into doctrine, and you're like, well, you know, Pastor, I'm going to tune you out. Don't tune me out, all right? The word repentance is really not as difficult as the theologians make it sound. It's really easy. It goes through all the Bible. In Exodus chapter 13, verse 17, the Bible says, And it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, let's peradventure the people repent when they see the war and they return to Egypt. In other words, he says, I'm trying to bring them into the promised land. But if they see war, they're going to want to go back to Egypt. And so I want to bring them another way, lest they repent and go back. And God was conscious of the fact of the weakness of their faith. And yet he, he was dealing gently with his people there. Uh, the word repent is used of God. And so we know it's not necessarily just of sin because God doesn't commit sin. He's good all the time. And uh, he is holy, he is righteous, he is true, he is justice, he's all those things. But yet the Bible uses the word repent when it comes to, to God. In fact, Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, the Bible says, And God saw their works, talking about uh, uh, Nineveh, who had repented, who had turned from their way. And they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. And God didn't commit sin there. He just said that, uh, you know, I was going to send judgment, but since their heart got right and they realized they were under condemnation, they had faith. They, I mean, they, they stopped all of their wickedness and the whole kingdom stopped everything that they were doing. They said, we're going to repent because of the judgment that is determined against us. And who knows if God will uh, turn away his anger from us. And so they, they acted in faith to Jonah's preaching. And because they acted in faith, God says, I'm not going to, I'm not going to send a judgment anymore. I want to send kindness to them instead. The word repentance is a verb. And in its very basic meaning, just as a verb, there's an action to it. It just basically means to turn. And the sinner, yes, the sinner can turn from sin, but that's what he's turning from. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, uh, it has to be all about sin. You can turn from anything. God turns from his anger. Uh, the, 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 the Israelites turned, uh, had the capability of turning and going back into Egypt there were several ways in which the Bible can use this word in that sense. The greatest definition of repentance for the sinner I find over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9. It's just one of these verses that uh, uh, really I grabbed a hold of early on. The Bible tells us this is how they turn to God. I talked about the Thessalonians. How they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God to wait for a son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. What a promise that is. But in other words, they, they, instead of placing their dependence upon the idols, they saw what God was willing to do in sending his son. They saw all they had to do, according to the preaching of Paul, all they had to do was believe. They turned to God, and when they turned to God... It wasn't that they sat down and confessed all their sins. They just turned to God, and they turned their back from placing all their trust in those idols to turning completely to the Lord. That's all it is, turning. 
for the sinner. Without Christ, you can turn from your sin, but also for the saint, the prodigal prophet. You know, I believe that Jonah was saved. I believe it's obvious from the text. And yes, he too repents. He turns from the fact that uh, he is running from God, all of a sudden no longer running from God, to calling out unto God, to turning to God once again. What do you call that? Repentance. He has a change in his heart and in his mind about who he was. He thought that he was, uh, he was right in running from God. He thought he was right in what he was doing. He thought that he was right to feel the way he was feeling. Not really understanding the grace and the mercy of the Lord and, and what God was trying to do through the Ninevites. And yet he, he finally realizes the error of his way. He says uh, in verse, what is it, verse 7? They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. He's saying this about himself. He was observing lying vanities. And he recognized he was forsaking his own mercy that God was willing to give to him. And so he recognizes the error of his way and he turns. And then he turns in this area in the matter of uh, this, uh, I like the last verse where it says salvations of the Lord. But he says, I'll pay that that I have vowed from running in obedience to God. He is the disobedient prophet going his own way instead of listening to the word of the Lord. Now all of a sudden he says, Lord, I'm ready to listen. I'll, I'll pay that I vowed. Lord, I'll be obedient. I'll listen to anything you have to say. It, it wasn't one of those foxhole prayers, believe you me. It wasn't one of those, what, the bullets are flying over the top of his head. Lord, whatever you want, just get me out of this mess, I'll serve you. And then all of a sudden it comes back from the war and you don't see him in church any longer. Like 9-11 when everybody was fleeing to the church for that short period of time and all of a sudden they were no longer there. It wasn't this jailhouse religion sort of mindset where they, well, I'll, I'll, I'll turn to the Lord as long as I'm in the prison, but when I'm out, no longer will I serve the Lord. And I'm not saying everybody's that way. You know my testimony and what the Lord saved me from. He could do anything. But I'm saying this was something that was genuine in the heart of, of Jonah that we're looking at here. This was not some... some just whimsical kind of prayer to just save me, get me out of this deep kind of thing. And so we find it amazing that, again, talking about the, the parable of the lost sheep in Luke chapter 15, and that sheep that the, the, the Jesus is giving the parable of, that sheep that was in the fold and he went astray, he says, I leave the 99 and I go after the one. Was that sheep a lost sheep? No, it was still a sheep, wasn't it? It was just gone. And he goes and he brings that sheep back unto himself. Here's what I want you to think about. Not only the lost sheep and the lost coin, but the lost son. And he goes and he spends, again, his father's living. And he comes back and he comes to himself and he says, uh, I want to go to my father and I want to tell him how I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called thy son. And... Uh, just make me as one of your hired servants. And when he comes to his father's house, the father comes and he runs and he embraces him. And what you see there is something really incredible. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before. When he comes and he embraces him and he kisses his neck and he, he, said, he calls to his servants and he says, I want, you to get the, I want you to get the robe and I want you to get the ring and I want you to put shoes on his feet and and we're going to have a sacrifice, and we're going to kill the fatty calf. Why? Because my son who was once dead is now alive, and, and it's something that the, the son that was still there was struggling with. 
Now let me ask you this question. Why didn't he just say you could be a hired servant? Because he was always a son. But he could never lose it. That son, being his son, would never go away. You know, I know parents who, who have these prodigal children, and they go far, far, and they're running far from God. But if they had just come back to the home and come back with reason and soberness of mind and realize uh, they're willing with open arms to receive them back in and make that restoration into the home. And there will always be a child. They'll always cry out. They'll always be in prayer for that son. They'll always be in prayer for that daughter. They'll always be willing to receive them back. Just like when we run from God, there's never going to be a point in time where he's going to say, no, you've done too much, and you can no longer be saved. No, you'll always be a son. You'll always be a son. And I find that important to get across to you because like Jonah, no matter how far he ran, God would still use him. And we'll find over in Jonah chapter 3, verse 1, where the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, no matter the consequences and the trouble that he found himself in, God was able to restore him. We are secure in the Father's hands this morning if we've been saved by the grace of God. And again, the son will never be a hired servant. He will always be a son, just like the sheep will always be a sheep. Like the prodigal son, I believe that there are some powerful lessons we can learn from the repentant prophet that we see this morning in Jonah. We must repent of our sin by turning to God. This is what I see that Jonah is doing. I told Sarah that uh, I really didn't want to go into this a whole lot this morning because it just, uh, I don't know, there's some things that I don't really want to go into. There's, there's a lot of people that try to delve in this topic. Well, did Jonah die? Because Jesus says, you know, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. And, and there's this whole big debate thing going on. And to me, I realize several things about this. I don't believe that Jonah died, number one, because he's praying and the dead man doesn't pray. Number two, I believe that the, 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 the very miracle of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, being buried for three days, raising up from the dead, uh, was a powerful miracle, and how dare we take away from the power of that miracle? God shows an abundant grace, and only the Son of Man, He says, I have power to lay down my life and power to take it back up again. And that's how great our salvation is, because He was, he was perfect. Jonah was, a, Jonah was a wicked man. He was, he was running from God, not our Lord. Not our Lord. Again, dead men don't pray. And I believe it takes away from the gospel if we uh, go in and try to concede that. And then the poetic language doesn't support it either. But thank God. Thank God that though he didn't die, he did repent. And he does pray. Jonah chose to repent to respond in faith. And so the second chapter is not about what happened in the whale. But it's about what happened in the heart of Jonah, the prophet. So notice three things. Again, his attitude toward God, his attitude about himself, and his attitude about uh, uh, obedience, or, or even his own salvation, however you want to word it, but his attitude toward God. Jonah prayed unto the Lord, his God, out of the fish's belly. The very God he was running from, he's now running to, and he tried to run as far as he could, but he realized uh, the, the error of his way. 
as he describes his experience, you notice several things. In verse 3, you notice the struggle as he's thrown overboard. Again, it's just he's on top of the water and he's praying and he's crying out. He's vocalizing this prayer before he goes down into the deep. And then when he goes down into the deep, there's this meditation that comes over him as he remembers the Lord. And, and he, he, knows, he knows that the Lord is going to hear and he's going to answer that prayer because of who God is. He knows the character of his God. He knows the word of his God. And as he goes down, this prayer is really uh, something special because it says Jonah is regurgitating the scripture that he learned to grow to love over the course of the years. As we look down through and we see the prayer in particular, he is praying scripture back unto God. He prays as in Psalm 50, verse 15, Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I'll deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. I got ahead of myself, but anyway, he is he's just praying scripture, praying scripture back unto God over and over again. We can look at different verses. I think it's Psalm uh, 120, verse 1. He says, In my distress I cried unto the Lord, and he heard me. Psalm 120, verse 1. Psalm 42, verse 7. Deep calls unto deep, the noise of thy water spouse, all thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. He's recalling Psalm 42. Psalm 31, verse 22, he says, For I said in my haste, I'm cut off from before thine eyes. Nevertheless, thou heardest my voice and my supplications when I cried unto thee. He recalls that. And he begins to recall these verses in his head as he's coming down and as he's praying back unto God. God says in the Psalms a lot about prayer. Again, as I was mentioning, Psalm 50, verse 15. It says, call upon me in the day of trouble, and I'll deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. Psalm 66, verse 20, blessed be God, which hath not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. Psalm 102, verse 17, he will regard the prayer of the destitute and not despise their prayer. And it's just really amazing that, he, again, he is quoting scripture, and he's trying to recall these things, and he's remembering the mercies of God, and it's as if he is standing on the promises of God. I know who God is. I know his character. I know according to the Psalms, he'll hear me even in my distress. I know according to the Psalms, if, uh, if I desire the Lord, if I seek the Lord, he's going to hear me. He's going to show mercy to me. He'll save me out of my distress. He'll save me out of my afflictions. He'll save me out of the waves and the billows. He'll save me out of those. I know he will. He's standing on the promises of God, and it's just really... The, the, the affliction that had shut his mouth as he's on the run from God and God pours this affliction upon him, begins to open his mouth as he cries out in his distress and in his trouble and in his trial. So he call, recalls these scriptures and he prays them back to God. The Bible says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God and Jonah is responding in faith. We... I believe it's important for us to memorize Scripture. I do a terrible job at it. I had verses and verses and verses and verses that I memorized. I, it's not because of how great that I can I'm a horrible student, and many of you know that. It takes me a long time to study, but I believe that this is very important. The one thing that comes back to Jonah is not his life. You see it over and over in the cartoons and in the movies and those kind of things. And they're sinking down into the deep and the things that they're thinking about. Oh, my life. I remember this event and that event and that event and that event. But no, he remembers the scriptures. 
And that's what we ought to do. We ought to remember the scriptures, no matter how far we get away from God, so that we have something to recount, to remember, and to call out unto God with. It's not the word of the Lord for Nineveh that was so important. It's the words that came to Jonah in his rebellion. And it wasn't the power of God's word that sent the whale that was so important. It's the power of God's word that came to Jonah as he prayed. Uh, Jonah comes back to faith and he comes back to his senses. He's thinking logically, he's thinking soberly, and he comes back to God and the fact that uh, he is recalling these scriptures and remembering the character of God. And again, I've heard people care, uh, criticize Jonah. They say, well, he didn't mean it. Do you think that God would know his heart? He that searches our hearts and he knows our thoughts, he knows our minds, he knows uh, everything about us, he knows the direction we're going. You think God didn't know what was going on in Jonah's heart? Say, oh, I made a mistake, he really wasn't serious, let me throw him back in. No, he didn't do that. God's presence was greater than the face of a guardian angel to Jonah. God's presence was greater, greater than those things. Like the prodigal son, he was now ready to return to his God. And then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God. That's what the Bible says. And then the second point, not only does he turn to God as he cries out, but also the attitude about himself. Because we see in verse 8, he says, They that forsake, they that observe lying, lying vanities forsake their own mercy. As he thinks about the chastening hand of the Lord that is upon him. And I believe, just as the Bible tells us over in Hebrews chapter 12, I believe it is, that the Lord does chasten his children. If you're one of his own, he will chasten you. He will deal with you as with children. And that's what he's doing in the life of Jonah here. And, and he brings them to the place where uh, he is coming face to face with God. I don't know about you, but when I was younger, it was just, when I was in trouble, I really didn't want to face my mother or my father. I, I tell you, because I, I knew what was coming. And I, I learned this lesson a long time ago. He said, the, the longer, the farther you run away, the more it hurts. The closer you get to that switch, the less it hurts. And that was a powerful lesson. And anyway, I don't know, that's, that's free. That's free of charge, all right? But sometimes the hardest thing to, to see is the beam in our own eyes. It really is. We're so quick to criticize everybody else. So you need to get this right, and you need to get that right. You're not right with God. At the same time, Jonah's dealing with the fact that he's not right in his own eyes. Couldn't see the forest for the trees. Uh, his own rebellion just really dumbed down the senses. And we have a high estimation of ourselves. Somebody said this about self. It's that touchy thing within you. And can I say this? Jonah was very touchy in the matter of Nineveh. Very touchy in the matter of, of, of God dealing with him. And, and uh, he lost all sense of the fact that God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Uh, we, we, don't have to, we don't have to do it our way. We don't have to get our way all the time. It's not about the, uh, the father follow, following the children. It's about the children following the father. That's what it's all about. We're to be the ones that's following God and being obedient to him and recognizing who he is, his place. <laughs> Listen, we, we need him for every area of our life, every area. God says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts are your thoughts. You're not, gonna, you're not always going to recognize what I'm doing. you just got to trust me. We're called to a life of faith, not a life of self. Faith lives for God and self lives for me. But what I want you to see here as we come down to this is, is, is what Jonah is doing. Second Chronicles 7.14, many of us, we, we know it by heart. 
But it was God's response to Solomon's prayer. God says, if my people shall humble themselves and shall turn from their ways and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and forgive their sins and will heal their land. And we think of everything that Solomon prayed beforehand as he lays out this prayer. He dedicates the temple and he begins to pray this uh, great prayer, not only praying for his people. He says, if, if my people, if the children of Israel, and if they, they go away and and, and they don't serve you anymore, and you shut up the heavens so it doesn't rain, and they, they turn from their ways, and they recognize, and Lord, would you forgive them? Would you send the rain down upon them? If they in their wickedness have turned to idols and turned away from God, and, and there would be a strange nation that comes up against them and take them into captivity, will you hear from heaven, and, and will you forgive them and bring them back into their land? And God's response was, yes, I will. I will. In fact, he says over in 2 Chronicles 6.36, he says, if, if they sin against thee, if there's no man which sinneth not, even in the Old Testament, recognize there's, there's none righteous. For there's none, no man which sinneth not, and thou be angry with them, and deliver them before the, their enemies, and carry them away captives, it's talking about Israel, into a land far off or near. Yet if they bethink themselves in the land, whether they have carried the captive, and turn and pray unto thee in the land of their captivity, saying, We've sinned, we've done amiss, and have dealt wickedly. And if they return with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their captivity, where they've carried them captives and pray toward their land. Where's Jonah praying? So I'll look again toward that holy temple. I'll look again toward that holy temple. Pray toward their land, and thou gavest unto their fathers, and toward the city which I was chosen, toward the house which I built for thy name. Then hear from the heavens, even from thy dwelling place, their prayer and their supplications, and maintain their cause, and forgive thy people which have sinned against thee. And Jonah recognizes this. He says, if I set my prayer toward God, the one who hears and answers, if I set my prayer toward thy holy temple, you said, according to your words, you would forgive me. You would, you would bring me back. You would save me. This is what Jonah is counting on. And the Bible is clear, the day that hide their sin shall not prosper. But it's sin that gets us into trouble, and it's repentance where we are finally made right. The point is that Jonah recognizes his sin, and he confesses it. Again, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. That's what Jonah was doing. And he was wrong in his sin. He was wrong about God. He was wrong about the direction. He was wrong about everything that you could imagine. But he finally got things right when he looked toward God. Folks, we've got to look toward God. Look toward God in our sin. Look toward God in our trouble. Look toward God when we're in, in desperation. But this was a true turning, which I want you to see. And I want you to recognize that if a rebellion Christian is going to be restored to full fellowship with God, he must confess his sin and claim forgiveness. And if you do that, forgiveness will be yours, not because of doing any penance like a Catholic church. You know, I just never got understood this personally but people that go in and they confess their sins to a man and they'll sit there and they'll tell them well why don't you do pray through the rosary beads and do all these Hail Marys and all these things if you do all these good things and then, then maybe that'll be good enough so you can get off the hook it doesn't work that way and God forgives us not on the basis of what we're doing not on the basis of 
these good things we're trying, not because we confess something to a man, but because of his righteous blood on the cross of Calvary. Stories told of a boy who appeared in a mission hospital in Kenya. He had a wound at his foot, and he was there at that mission hospital, and he had been cutting grass out of the jungle. I don't know how it happened, but apparently that whatever he was using probably you know, hit his foot and uh, struck his foot open, and part of his heel was cut off. But sending word to his, the boy's mother, he and a friend set out across the country to find a mission station. So him and the boy, they're going to the mission station, but whoever else is going to find a mother, and so they're two going in separate directions. When he gets to the mission station, Every time the foot touched the sandy earth, it left a, a, a trace of blood. The journey was long and difficult, but at last they arrived, and soon after the boy's mother appeared, and the doctors were surprised that she had found the way, and they asked her, well, how did, how did you find the way? How did you get there? She said, I followed the, followed the blood. And that's what we're doing. We've got to make our way back to the blood of Jesus Christ who said that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's a propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And he says that he would forgive us based on the righteous blood of Jesus Christ. So we've got to trust in the forgiveness that's available to us, not whether we're good enough or we'll never be good enough, but based upon his righteousness, based upon his forgiveness that he's there to offer us. Jonah could say as Jeremiah in the book of Lamentations, he says, It's of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. Great is thy faithfulness. And we find that God is, he is faithful. He is he's great. His, his mercies are always there. It's always available. Just like for, for the, the sinner, the, God's grace is always available. It's there for the taking. It's not that it's not available for, for the whole world. It's not that it's not available for anybody who would, who would accept it. It's right there in front of them. All you got to do is take it and receive it. God's mercy was there for Jonah. All he had to do was turn and receive it. Turn from his own understanding. God, I have every right to be angry. Saying, God, you, you were right. I was the one who was wrong. So instead of being self-righteous, Jonah's confessing his sins and finally had the right attitude about himself, but then notice his attitude concerning his obedience. So I'll sacrifice unto the Lord with a voice of thanksgiving. I'll pay that I have vowed salvations of the Lord. And again, in verse 9, Jonah says his decision, that in his decision of repentance, he made vows of obedience to God. Now that's, we, we really don't, I don't think, have you guys made vows in here? Marriage vows, I know that. Uh, you got Ecclesiastes chapter 5, I believe it is. He says that when you go into the house of God, you, you be careful. You want to pay that which you vow. You open your mouth, you want to pay it. You want to pay it. He not only confessed what he had done wrong, he determined that he was going to get it right, and he was finally going to pay these vows. And uh, sometimes people think repentance is this, it's just being sorry. You know, I've, I've been preaching, and I've seen times where I know the person who's coming in in a, a certain situation where this, this lady, she would come in, and her and her boyfriend, and completely away from God, and the parents and grandparents have been praying for this girl. She, she would come in, and every time that I would preach a message, she would just be bawling her eyes out. She would be in tears. She said, Pastor, thank you for that message. I needed that message. I mean, she would, 
I mean, on the outside, it was just all tears. It's not just merely being sorry. I like what Paul writes over in 1 Corinthians. I think it's 1 Corinthians, no, it might be 2 Corinthians chapter 6. That you sorrow not after a worldly sorrow, but you sorrowed after a godly sort. You say, yea, yea, what vengeance against the sin that you had committed and how you've exercised it, you made it right, and what clearing of yourselves. That's the kind of thing that we're not just some tears or crocodile tears, I call them. Real repentance means that you're sorry enough to not do it again and you want to stop doing the wrong and you want to start doing right. Now, I do confess that sometimes when you try to stop doing that wrong, there are times where you go back to it, but you, you, you pray forgiveness again, don't you? But you stop doing the wrong and you start doing the right. You trust God and His Word. It's been said that we need what we need most is mercy. Justice would ruin us. And that's true. You understand from our text that it doesn't seem to indicate that at some point that Jonah had vowed to God that he would obey God. Um, you know, we don't read anywhere where he made that first initial vow. We just see in verse chapter 1, verse 1, that the word came unto, unto Jonah to go to Nineveh and cry against that, uh, the, that great city because of their wickedness. So we don't read of the vow that he made, but we do know that the vow that he made was a vow of obedience. If you make a vow, it's, it's a vow of obedience to whatever it was sent for. The obedience is implied. You know, a child, you, a child, you expect your children to obey the parent. You expect if you're sitting in a classroom that the students are going to listen to the teacher, they want to obey the teacher. The, the, the government expects us as citizens of the land that we're going to obey the laws of the land. Now, they don't always enforce that the way they ought to, but that's it's kind of the general principle. Shouldn't we as the children of God obey the Lord that saved us? I mean, it's really incredible that the Lord set the example for us over in Philippians chapter 2 that he humbled himself and he became obedient unto the death of the cross. He had paid the way he showed us how to be obedient. And if the Lord is going to be obedient, how dare us not be obedient, you know? Uh, I get so upset with the free grace movement where they say, well, you know, uh, God just forgave everybody, and now that I'm forgiven, I'll just go out and live in the world any way that I want to. I'll go out and eat, drink, be merry, still be the same drunk I always was, and still live in the same uh, immoral lifestyle that I've always lived. That's not grace. The grace of God teaches us denying all worldliness and all that worldly lust and things like that to, to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. That's what grace teaches us. Again, as I taught this morning in Sunday school, the manual of discipleship over in, what was it? I think it was in Titus. Uh, that he had purified unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. That's what God has desired for us, and we ought to be obedient unto the Lord. Now, the Lord's obedience was to counteract Adam's disobedience. But he calls us to be obedient unto the Lord. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves a living sacrifice. And though Jonah left the path of obedience, he learned the important lesson that in his distress... The most important lesson, salvation's of the Lord. It's not for me to determine 
who deserves mercy. It's not for me to determine who deserves salvation. It's not that the Jews are better than the Gentiles or the Gentiles are better than the Jews. It's not for any of that. It's salvations of the Lord. You see, salvation is either of the Lord or it's not salvation at all. Because there's only so much money that you can give to try to bail somebody out of their trouble. I hear of uh, parents that go out and say, well, I want to keep giving money and money. I want to bail them out of jail and I want to give them more money and I want to pay all their bills and I want to do all these things. There's only so much that that money's going to save them from. The true salvation is in Jesus Christ. That's what they need to turn to. Psalmist David wrote in Psalm 119, verse 67, it says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I've kept thy word. The very one from whom Jonah was running from, God's call to give the message to the Ninevites, as he thought that they were unworthy of the salvation, was now ready to share the message, salvations of the Lord. I like what Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also, also to the Greek. Also to the Greek, the timing of his mercy. When did Jonah receive mercy? It's even when he was in his sin. When he was going down and he cried out. That's when he received mercy. The means of the mercy, the very jaws, it looked like it was going to devour him, you know. I can't imagine how fearful it would have been to be swallowed by this great fish, this whale, you know, and be engulfed in it. It was almost the jaws of death. He could have died in there, but it came the jaws of deliverance, didn't it? Where the Lord rescued him and spit him up out on that land. I, I would have hated to have been Jonah. And then the occasion, we notice the moral to illustrate that God doesn't desire the death of the sinner, but rather a turn from his wickedness and live. I like what Oswald Chambers said as I come to a close here. Oswald Chambers said this. He says, it's not the repentance that saves me. Repentance is a sign that I realize what God has done in Christ Jesus. The danger is to put the emphasis on the effect instead of the cause. It's my obedience that puts me, is it my obedience that puts me right with God? Never. I am put right with God because prior to all else, Christ died. And when I turn to God and by belief accept what God reveals, instantly the stupendous atonement of Jesus Christ rushes me into a right relationship with God. And by the miracle of God's grace, I stand justified, not because of anything that I've done, but because of what Jesus has done. The salvation of God doesn't stand on human logic, stands on the sacrificial death of Jesus, sinful men and women, can be changed into a new creature by the marvelous work of God in Christ Jesus, which is prior to all experience. And can I say this? What a powerful lesson. What a powerful lesson. How long are we going to go in our sin? Jonah teaches us what we ought to do. To get a right attitude about God. To get a right attitude about ourselves. And get a right attitude about our obedience. He died for us. <laughs> we deserve everything. I mean, we, we owe him our all, don't we? And glory be to God.